Hey, what's good, jazz fans? Welcome to Jabber Jazz, your home for Utah jazz basketball content from a fan's perspective, without any of the ads, and also with an analytical emphasis. I'm your host, Adam Bushman, ready to take you on this ride. If you'd like to follow me, go do so on Twitter at Adam underscore Bushman. Today we're getting into five topics. We're going to take five minutes on each topic, starting with Walker Kessler and ending with some draft stuff. Uh, if you like what we're doing on this podcast and on our YouTube page as well, uh, please consider subscribing uh, and making sure that you're following us on our social media, Twitter at Jabber underscore Jazz. Also, leaving a review or a comment uh, for the podcast or on YouTube would be greatly appreciated as well. And if you're a big fan of us, snagging some merch on our uh, website would be so helpful to keeping the lights on and this content coming to you every week. Well, without further ado, let's jabber jazz. Okay, so it's been a while since uh, I did a podcast, uh, just kind of due to the holidays, but now I want to kind of take these five minutes uh, for each of these five topics to kind of catch up on everything that's happened since uh, we last did an episode. Uh, and I want to first start with the Walker Kessler craze. Now, now, certainly Walker Kessler's playing well, and he's captured the attention of a lot of us fans. Uh, I may kind of be a, a little bit more on the um, on the crazy side side of things. I I'm an, a huge fan of Walker Kessler. What I think he's doing is just incredible. Uh, from that first preseason game, I have just been all in on Walker Kessler, and I think he's just doing incredible stuff. If we kind of look at the timeline of Walker, what's kind of happened, the Jazz trade for him uh, in June. Uh, injury prevents him from participating in any summer league, uh, but he immediately becomes the backup center in preseason. Right, That first preseason game, he's the backup. And we'd kind of been hearing during training camp and we saw his uh, media day interview, and I kind of got the impression that, hey, he's very cerebral, he's got a high IQ, and he's really intent on, on, on learning and um, showing what he's, what he's working on. And I thought that immediately played out when he became the immediate backup center in, in preseason. It wasn't even a question with uh, Cody Zeller and Yudoka Azubuki that Kessler was the guy to come off the bench uh, in that center spot. So then as time went on, we got into the regular season. He started carving out a consistent 15 to 20 minutes of playing time. And after a while, I thought, man, this guy's got to get more playing time. And he started to get more playing time. In fact, he just finished a stretch of starting. Uh, some of it was due to um, Kelly Olynyk being out with uh, that ankle injury, but also part of the six games that he started have been uh, certain matchups have warranted playing Markinen, Kessler, and Olynyk all together. So now that we've kind of we're nearly halfway through the season, if we look at some of his performance, we can see just how impactful he is and, and why there's there's such craze about him. Okay, so there's 41 centers in the NBA that have 10 or fewer games starting, 
but have played 100 or more total minutes. So 41 backup centers, basically. Walker ranks third in box plus minus. That's a stat for basketball reference. It has his flaw. It has its flaws, similar to a lot of these advanced plus minus stats. But in a way, it's trying to take your, your box score stats and trying to estimate and enrich the traditional plus minus impact stat that we have. So he ranks third out of 41 players there. Okay, he ranks fourth in minutes, seventh in efficiency, 35th in usage. I think those all pass the smell test for sure. If you look at the raw on-off plus-minus numbers, the Jazz with Kessler on the floor are a plus-five for the entire season per 100 possessions. That means if two teams played 100 possessions, the Jazz would have outscored the other team by five points. That's exactly what you want. That's with Walker Kessler on the floor. With Walker Kessler off the floor, the Jazz have been a minus 1.7 per 100 possessions. If we play 100 possessions, the Jazz would have been outscored by 1.7 points on average. So this is really interesting. It's particularly interesting now because Walker Kessler has started six games. Okay, We are uh, nearly halfway through the season. Okay, so... We, we aren't dealing with as much sample, small sample size theater anymore. We've also had big stretches where Mike Conley has been missing and uh, a small stretch with out Colin Sexton, um, Rudy Gay. So it's not like we've just had everybody and Kessler has kind of been, um, I guess, localized to one role. He's really been doing a ton of stuff with a ton of different players and still having the success. If you look at the Jazz just starting with Kessler, we're 3-3, three and three, and Kessler himself has the fourth highest plus-minus and second among starters of anybody who has played in the six games where Kessler started. That's, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. He's deserving to start sooner than later. In my opinion, Kelly can take uh, Jared Vanderbilt's start in the starting lineup. Kelly can come off the bench. It really doesn't matter to me. I think ultimately the minutes can stay about the same. You cycle in uh, Kessler 24 to 30 minutes a night, and then you deploy uh, Kelly Olenek in all of those other minutes, and you bring in Kelly at the four a lot of times as well, so you, you can play them together. In my opinion, I'm really hoping that Walker Kessler kind of ascends to this Ivica Zubac role that he has in uh, L.A. for the Clippers. Okay, Ivica Zubac is the only, only real center that the Clippers have. He starts every game unless there's a weird matchup, and he's in that 24 to 30 minutes a night. And every other lineup that doesn't feature Zubots has five-out potential. A lot of wings, a lot of length, and a lot of shooting. I think that's kind of the route the Jazz have to go. And I'm hopeful that Walker Kessler can be that if it's the Zubots, and it would bring just a massive, massive uh, element to the Utah Jazz. They're really set up well, and there's a ton of Walker Kessler craze, and I guess I'm leading that parade. All right, so this next topic we're going to get into for a couple minutes is more John Collins buzz. So Shams Charania of The Athletic, of Stadium, of FanDuel, ah, who knows? He's of everything. Uh, he reported a three-team framework for a Utah Jazz John Collins deal. 
Now we had heard about a about the Atlanta Hawks and Utah Jazz kind of discussing John Collins uh, a bit earlier. I think a few podcasts ago, back in middle or late November, we had been hearing rumblings about that. And back then, Atlanta had inquired about Laurie Markkinen, and basically the Jazz laughed them out of the room. Obviously, now what's being reported is that. Um, Vanderbilt and it's a three-team deal where Vanderbilt and Beasley would go to Phoenix, Crowder and Shamit, Landry Shamit, uh, Jay Crowder and Landry Shamit would go to the Atlanta Hawks, and John Collins and a first-round pick would come to Utah. Now they didn't mention to what extent a first, uh, or I should say, whose first-round pick, Phoenix or Atlanta. I'm guessing Phoenix, but it's hard to say. Uh, and it was reported that the deal fell apart because the Jazz are asking for multiple first-round picks. Now, on the surface, this deal feels pretty good. You're getting John Collins, arguably the best player in the deal, and a first-round pick, and you gave up you know, two players that, that are good, but you know, they're not John Collins. So it's interesting. I, I do think Danny Ainge should be asking for more. Just looking at it on the surface, if we're doing some sort of fantasy deal, um, or if you're selling, a, um, or if you're selling a used car, or all sorts of these things, uh, basically you're having a situation where you have the most val- you have the uh, highest performing, most valuable assets at the moment, and what you're hoping is that by trading them, you get a player with potential to be better, but whose performance hasn't really shown that, okay? So Collins is lowest value. Vanderbilt and Beasley are peak value they've ever been, okay? Those two guys are on excellent contracts. Collins, he's on a lengthy, expensive deal. And so I think Ainge just naturally should be should be asking for more. Like, that's the... That's kind of like the essence of negotiations. And and Ainge is coming from a position of strength. He's got the players people are asking about. Collins has been on the trade market for forever. I think that makes sense. Now, in theory, I stu- I do agree. In theory, I think that this trade uh, isn't, isn't terrible other than Phoenix is kind of making off like a bandit. Um, and that's where... Uh, I think Phoenix has to come to the table with some more with some more value, uh, but I don't think that the the trade as as now is terrible. In a vacuum, I I'm really thinking about doing this trade as is, but I totally understand why Age is asking for more, and we're in a position to. But I I am a bit bullish on Collins. Okay, I am I am encouraged by him. Um, I just kind of think, would you rather have John Collins or a first round pick? Uh, a late first round pick. Now, a late first round pick, you know, you're, you're not committing a ton of finances to them, but you are investing an asset that may or may not turn into an actual rotation player, and uh, you are investing a bunch of development time. With Collins, you kind of have, oh, hey, he's immediately an NBA player, and depending on the team, arguably a starter. Um, I also feel like in the, at the start of his career, he really showed when Trey Young wasn't on the team what he was capable offensively. Um, and we've gotten into those stats. We don't need to get into them again. But I really thought he showed what he was capable of as an offensive player. And in the Eastern Conference Finals two years ago, when they went up against the Milwaukee Bucks, I really also thought he showed why he could be a valuable rotation piece that 
doesn't just need to score to be valuable. He was doing a lot of other good things, and I, I think that bodes well. This year is just a ton of bad luck, especially with the, with the shooting. He's actually got a more scalable approach to efficiency this year than he ever has, and it's just been bad luck. So all those things together, I'm pretty bullish uh, on Collins. Um, I I would like to get him. I am interested in having Vanderbilt be in the, part of that package. I, I'm not super keen on Malik Beasley. Now, if you put in two picks and John Collins, I'm doing the deal. But uh, with one pick, I'm really hesitant. I'd, I'd prefer to, to put somebody else in that spot. Why? Because uh, Malik Beasley, he's the guy you're eventually going to want. You're eventually going to need to get him. Um, he's got that skill set of elite shooter um, who uh, isn't isn't a traffic cone on defense and who can work you know off the dribble a little bit. I think we'll be looking for that guy eventually, and he's under team control for next year, and he's only 25. So I'm really hesitant to give up Malik Beasley because I I more or less see him right in the timeline with Walker Kessler and Larry Markkinen just because of his age and that skill set you're going to need it eventually. Jazz have a little team control. And by all accounts, I, I think that he would really like to resign with the Jazz. All right, let's get to our third topic, leveraging Lowry Markkinen. Uh, Lowry is just going bonkers, and I mean bonkers. If you look at his efficiency, we're going to use uh, adjusted or regularized true shooting percentage. That means we're going to take his efficiency number and we're going to subtract out league average. So if we have a positive number, we are above league average. A negative number would be below. So Lowry is at plus 9% adjusted to shooting percentage, which is crazy elite. It's insane. Only Nikola Jokic and Kevin Durant exceed that efficiency for 24% usage and 1,000 plus minutes played. Okay, It's insane what he's doing. He is so efficient given his volume. And he's making 44% of his threes. And uh, that's on, on about seven a game. And I think the Jazz just need to plumb that like crazy. Um, hopefully, getting him closer to ten three-point attempts per game. You know, I don't. I don't care if you have to drop specific plays. Uh, I don't care if we have to. Okay, you know what, Lowry, kind of come up a little slower in transition off of made baskets, and hopefully the guard can get into the paint quick, kick it back out to a walk-up three for Lowry. Um, I don't know exactly what it is, but uh, I would. I think the Jazz need to look into every possible way to get him those 10 attempts from three because he is just he's just a laser right now. And if you get him up to 10 attempts, you're usually you're going to be oscillating between two and probably four or five makes a game, which which would just be insane. The bad news, however, with this whole thing is that that usage is pretty low. And it's not really fit, well, it's only fit for a number two and and kind of your mid-tier number two uh, player. So he's got that super low uh, usage. And what's even worse, it compounds it, and, and they're interconnected, is that he's got a low percentage of field goal makes unassisted. That means a lot of his shots are coming off an assist from Conley or Clarkson or Linux, etc. And that gets complicated because that basically means you're 
you're, um, you're scoring off of an already made advantage, right? Whether you're open because somebody, you know, uh, your defender kind of sucked into the paint and so now you're open, whether that's you're already barreling to the rim and they catch you already moving and now, you know, you're really just about finishing, all those kind of stuff. Uh, most of his scoring is coming off of those ready-made advantages, which is which is fantastic. Like I'm not trying to say that that's not a great player because he is a great player, but it's fit for a number two player, not a number one. Um, and it, there's no shame in not being a number one player on a on a great team. Maybe that's Lowry, maybe it's not, but currently it's it's not. He struggles to get the ball and, and create for himself in those late game situations when there's no defenses when the defenses are zeroing in on him. You know, we saw it the uh, the other night. Even Ty Jerome. Ty Jerome of the Golden State Warriors was making it difficult for him to to get the ball and kind of impact the game. Uh, late late there when when Golden State was zeroing in, Lowry had been on a heater, and and they were kind of intent to stop him, and they did, and it didn't take didn't take all that much. So that's kind of his development this offseason. I think he's got to get stronger. I think he's got to develop some some counters and some confidence when posting up, so he could just get the ball. A lot of this is hey, he just needs the ball, and then he can do something. And and then he needs to, you know, kind of uh, plumb and just get you know, 10,000 reps or something in a summer of, hey, I got the ball in these three situations. I'm seven foot. I am this strong and this athletic. I can get a bucket. And um, if he can do that, he has a shot to be the number one player on a great team. If not, he's a number two, and that is still an elite player, right? He's already, uh, in all likelihood, going to be selected as an all-star. And basically, he's the year two version of Michael Porter Jr., but with defense. Michael Porter Jr. in his second year, people thought he was the second coming of, of you know, all-star, all-NBA level Kevin Durant. Not Hall of Fame level, but the all-star, all-NBA version of Kevin Durant. Um, and basically, we're getting that. If you look at the stats, they're very, very similar. Basically, we're getting that, but with defense from Lowry Markkinen. That's how amazing his season has been. And, you know, he's he's likely going to be an elite number two um, on a great team. And we'll see after this offseason how likely it can be that he's a number one. At this point, he's he's not very close. All right, let's talk about the draft a little bit. Uh the draft tiers have been shuffling recently, and I think the main story is that this tier two is starting to widen quite a bit. Um, all indications are that this tier two is getting wider. More players are are proving themselves as worthy of this big second group. Um, you've got Anthony Black, who's impressing, especially with Nick Smith Jr. Uh, hobbled. Gigi Jackson is starting to ascend. I, I mean, he's been ascending for a while. But uh, Osar Thompson is falling a little bit, uh, depending on the uh, mocks that you look at. Ultimately, this is really good news for the Jazz. I actually talked to Josh Roberts uh, from the last podcast where we went through his rankings. And he has one through eight uh, draft spots as on his board as all-star potential, and then 9 through 13 as starter level. 
um, there are a lot of drafts where, hey, it's a real crapshoot right at the end of the lottery. And sure, you can have these wild swings, but to but to have you know 13 players who have the potential to start for your franchise uh, is big time. And this is really good news for the Jazz. There appears to be a lot of volatility in this range as well. So a guy who could be slotted for six on some boards is at 10 on others. And so you could see a situation where, hey, the Jazz, where best case scenario right now, we're in the middle of the uh, of the lottery. And worst case scenario, we're at the back end, just given how performance has gone so far with this season. That's good news for the Jazz. And, and hopefully it means that, hey, they can find some players they really like. Hopefully the Jazz can have two picks right around top 10 somewhere. And if that's the case, uh, I'm starting to get really confident that uh, that we can find some real valuable players, and and hopefully find um, hopefully find a number one option. If not, maybe a number two or number three. We'll see how it plays out. But ultimately, this is really good news for the for the Jazz, and uh, we're gonna have to keep monitoring it. We're gonna bring on more uh, draft professionals as we get into uh, the thick of things. But uh, that's kind of the story that I'm seeing right now is that draft tier two is really starting to widen. And, and between tier one and tier two, you're almost encompassing you know, a good large portion of the lottery, which is just fantastic news for the Jazz. All right, let's talk about our final topic. Uh, draft, or I guess just overall positioning, where the Jazz sit. So the Jazz at 19 and 18, uh, we're basically almost halfway through the season, which is wild. And we truly find ourselves at the given moment right in the middle. Okay, we're three and a half games out of the out of a top seven, uh, out of a top seven pick range, right, for the lottery, uh, out of the top seven odds. We're currently slotted for the play-in right now, and we're one game out of a top six seed for the Western Conference. Like, wow, that definition of middle right there. And any way the Jazz want to go, there's there's more than a path to get there. If the Jazz want to lean into this thing, I can, I can absolutely see that uh, if, we, if we make a trade and kind of uh, scale things a bit more, right? Rudy Gay plays far less minutes. Um, and, uh, you know, Walker Kessler starts, Vando off the bench. You know, a lot. If you were able to intersect a lot of these things, uh, I think that the Jazz could really push, likely stay in the play-in or sneak into that top six in the Western Conference, and then all of a sudden you're guaranteed a first-round series. Um, Larry Markkinen gets that right under his belt. So does Colin Sexton uh, and Malik Beasley, right? So. If the Jazz want to go that route, I can totally get it. They're already in the middle, so if they just say, hey, we want you know, to keep our books clean, we want to give everybody some experience, and you know, we're fine hitting the play-in and then just uh, having a, an entire season and play-in tournament to evaluate this team and then uh, address some things in the offseason, we're already kind of uh, headed for that path. And if the Jazz want to lean into this, this thing a little bit, um, Make a, make some of these trades like that we've been hearing, and uh, get a little worse in the short term and potentially better in the long term. The the Jazz could really do so. If we look at the projection systems, if the Jazz want um, top three odds in the draft, 
that's kind of the equivalent of being in the 25 win range based on 538. And that would require the Jazz to win 13% of their games going forward, right? Basically six games of what's remaining. Pretty unlikely. If the Jazz want top seven odds, uh, that's 35 wins, and that would require the Jazz to win about 36% of their games going forward. Totally within the realm of possibility, especially if uh, you offload Mike Conley or Kelly Olynyk or some of these guys who have played Hero, late in games when the game is close all of a sudden that swings you a handful of wins and all of a sudden you're right at 36 percent win rate um, if you want top 10 odds that's the equivalent of 39 wins and you need to win 45 percent of your games going forward uh, if you want to be in the lottery that's 42 wins you need to you need to win 51 percent of your games going forward since november 9th why November 9th? Well, that's when the Jazz went on their first East Coast road trip. Okay, so that pretty much takes that big hot start out of the equation. Now you would ask, hey, why are you taking the big hot start out of the equation? Like that's part of the season. Yes, however, I think there was a lot to do with the Jazz uh, being energized and kind of taking people by surprise. And I think once they started really hitting that East Coast road trip, um, and once the fatigue started kind of hitting in and the team started scouting them, that's when I think things started to fall apart a little bit. And it's more akin to what we've seen throughout the rest of the season. Anyways, if you go from November 9th, the Jazz have a 40% win rate, which is basically right in the middle of number 7 to number 10 odds. Okay, So the Jazz, if they keep this up, they, they could be in a pretty decent place for the lottery if they lean into this thing one way or the other that, that could take them either way. Main story is the Jazz are in a position to really go whichever way they want and it's, it's all possible and we'll see which way they lean as the season gets on. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your support of Jabber Jazz. And if you like what we're doing, here's how you can support us. Please subscribe to the podcast. Um, follow us on Twitter at Jabber underscore Jazz. Also check out our YouTube channel. Uh, leave a review or a comment and snack some Jabber Jazz merch. All of that will help us keep putting out some ad-free Utah Jazz basketball talk with an analytical emphasis. Well, without further ado, let's... Let's wrap up our jazz talk by leaving you with some sounds of jazz. Mm-hmm.